Today's reading comes from Revelation 5, 1 to 10. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Morning. My name is Jake. It is good to... Oh, thank you so much. It is good to be with you this morning. If I haven't met you yet, would love to meet you following the gathering. It's good to be here. Uh, before we open God's Word and look at it even further, would you just join me in prayer? Lord, we uh, are seeking for you this morning. And Lord, we know that there's good news in that before we ever sought you and before we ever yearned for you and longed for you, Lord, you were well ahead of us looking for us and seeking us out. So I pray for the person here who who is just seeking this morning. Lord, would you find them? I pray for those of us who are coming from weeks in which we are weary and beaten down. Lord, would you find us? Would you meet us in your word by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, not how many times this year, or have you ever in your lifetime, but how many times this week uh, did you say to yourself, I want to be like that person. I want to have what they have. As a kid growing up in uh, central Ontario, I idolized uh, hockey players. So I would do this little scheme. I would take a letter and I would write like hundreds of these letters and I would send them to professional hockey players and they in return would send me uh, autographed pictures. And I had dozens of these autographed pictures of, of, of these people I idolized, right? My mom threw those pictures out. And you can only wonder how much it would have been worth today. Still a sore spot. For some of you, if you're in the business or or the finance world, there are people you idolize, right? Warren Buffett, uh, Timothy Ferris and his like 
four-minute work week, right? Uh, COO of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, although it's been a tough week for Facebook. Even in ministry, there are people we, we, we idolize, we, we put on pedestals. I remember when I was a young guy, six years ago, kind of coming in, doing an internship, I said to myself, oh, I'd love to have a ministry like that guy, or, or I'd love to have a ministry like, like, like that, and, and do those things. If you're here today, whether you're a Christian or not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we, we all look up to people. We all idolize certain individuals. We all put uh, people on pedestals as, as targets to strive towards. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Let me suggest this morning that I think it's because we hope to say something about ourselves in the person we deem worthy enough for us. Isn't it? Isn't that why? I was listening to a psychiatrist talk to a, a, a group of us uh, this week, and he was talking about attraction. And he said, attraction is actually not so much to do about like the other person. It's not so much to do about their beauty, uh, who they are, you know, what they have accomplished. It actually has more to do, attraction, with how we feel, who we are when we're with them. Super insightful. Attraction really isn't about them. It's more about how we feel, what it says about us that we're attracted to them. I think it's the same thing when it comes to choosing who we deem to be worthy. As a young person, I remember doing this. I, I, I would say that somebody was cool and, and fashionable and, and relevant uh, who I wanted to be like. I wanted people to see this person I deemed to be worthy enough and find myself in that line. I wanted them to, to make that, that, that link, right? If you know any workaholics, my wife knows one. Uh, if you know any workaholics, you know that the people they deem worthy are other workaholics, right? Or other masters who spend, you know, 90 hours a week working on their craft, perfecting it, sleeping at their desk so that they can achieve perfection. In saying a person is worthy, we are hoping to say something about ourselves. Look, I'm like them. See, the question of is so-and-so worthy is not merely a question of receiving your stamp of approval, but by deeming someone worthy, we are exposing our whole lives, right? We tell others what is and what isn't important to us. We now have a target to move towards a vision of the good life, all being led by that which is worthy. And so my first question this morning for you is who do you say is worthy? Who do you say is worthy? And what do you hope that that says about you? Who do you say is worthy? And what do you hope, what, what do you pray that that says about you? One of the most fundamental questions anyone can ever ask in any place is, is this person worthy? 
uh, th- this morning, it should come as no surprise to you. Uh, we, we've sung about him. Uh, we, we've prayed about him. We even mentioned him once or twice. Uh, the, the person whose worthiness we're considering this morning, that whose worthiness is on trial this morning, is, is the person of Jesus. Is he, is Jesus worthy? Fundamental, pivotal, everything hangs on it type of question. When I, when I became a Christian uh, late in high school, my brother went off uh, to Bible college. And at Bible college, he learned all these great things, but he also met all these great people. Different stories of people who had encountered Jesus from different backgrounds, from different places, and, and all coming together to, to learn and to grow in their faith. And I remember he told this story of, of this one girl who, who was traveling in Europe at the time when she found out that her best friend had died in some sort of tragic accident. And this girl expressed her faith journey in this way. For me, at that point, I had to decide, is Jesus worth it? Given all the heartache, all the evil, all the terribleness of this life, is Jesus worth it? My my brother told me that story 10 years ago, and I still, I still come back to it time and time again. That's what it boils down to, isn't it? Is he worthy? Is he worth it? As we look at Revelation 5 this morning, I want this simple question. Is he worthy to frame our time together? And if it's okay with you, I actually want to work backwards this morning. I'm going to lay out for you three implications. Three things that are irrevocably, absolutely, 100% true... Three implications, if Jesus is worthy. Ready? First is this. All suggest that if Jesus is worthy, if he's worthy, then you're approved. This is 100% true, irrevocably true. If Jesus is worthy. Then all suggest that if Jesus is worthy, if that's true, uh, if Jesus is worthy, then you have a, a purpose. You have a purpose. And finally, we'll see that if he's worthy, then you have a future. And finally, after looking at all these things, after setting up each of these dominoes, if you will, we'll circle back and we'll ask that question that that, that really exists at the center of all this. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? If you have your Bibles, Revelation 5, 1 to 4, you can pull it up in in paper or an app form. To be very clear right now, uh, some of you love Revelation and love the imagery in Revelation. We're going to go about like that deep in a book that's like, a mile deep this morning, okay? So if you're like, oh, what are the seven horns? And what are the seven spirits? And what, what's that? Like, let's talk afterwards. We'd love to talk more about that. But for the sake of time this morning, we're going to look at uh, the cross in Revelation 5, 1 to 4. Revelation 5, 1 to 4, it reads like this. It opens with this question that we can all relate to. Is anybody worthy? Is anybody worthy? Revelation 5, 1 to 4 begins. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And what does John John do? Verse 4. And I began to weep. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. 
John sees in this vision, in the right hand of the Lord Almighty, a scroll. This scroll is sealed with seven seals, this sign of completeness. In this scroll, and here is that this deep for something that's this deep, in that scroll is God's complete plan of the kingdom of God. One commentator, he writes this, See, the opening of the scroll would would not be only an act of revelatory disclosure. It's not just information in the scroll, but what is he says this. But also an act of executive authority carrying its edicts into action. The things written in the scroll must take place because they constitute God's plan for history. This is why John weeps. Not only can that information not be viewed, but, but that plan cannot be inactive if no one can open the scroll. See, John, it says, he weeps, weeps loudly. There is no one in heaven and earth worthy to open or look into the scroll. Not only is there no one worthy to share God's plan for the world with us, for all of us, there is no one worthy to bring this plan about. Let's just sit there for a second. No one. Not a little. No one. Not Moses. Not Gandhi. Not Nelson Mandela. Not Mother Teresa. Not Winston Churchill. Not your godly mother. Not your godly father. No one. No one is worthy to open the scroll. No one. John isn't deceived or as confused as some of us. Some of us, who in not finding anyone out there, we just say, oh, that's fine. I'm worthy enough. I can open the scroll. I can do that. See, John has looked both out and in, and realize that he and they are not sufficient. That they cannot bear the weight of our lives. John isn't weak-willed, needing to smoke the opiate of the masses. No. John is seeing reality in a way that you and I have never experienced. See, Revelation 5 is this continuation of a a vision we find beginning in Revelation 4. And at the beginning of Revelation 4, we find John uh, sitting on this pile of rocks in exile in Patmos because he he won't say Caesar is Lord. Instead, he says Jesus is Lord. So here John is, sitting on this pile of rocks in exile, sitting there. And Revelation 4.1 begins like this. Suddenly, John looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven. John is is, is peering behind the curtain, if you will. He's seeing the true nature of what's going on. And because John is truly seeing, John is is, is rightly weeping. Because John is is truly seeing, John is, is rightly weeping. Oh, that we would see like John sees. Is that this weeping that I want to I stop this morning? What exactly is John seeing? Or more importantly, what, what is John not seeing? And we know this. He's not seeing someone worthy. 
Revelation 5.4 And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. As I said earlier, who we deem to be worthy isn't just a matter of giving them our blessing, of giving them our, our stamp of approval. We're effectively giving them our whole lives. Who we deem to be worthy has implications for us. John is rightly weeping. See, what's the one thing, what's the one thing each one of us wants spoken over our lives? I'll tell you what I, above everything else, want spoken over my life. Good job. Above all else, at the end of the day, and and you can psychoanalyze this in me, I want approval. I want approval. And not receiving approval crushes me. And not receiving approval should crush you. So how do we let ourselves not be destroyed by our longing for approval? Skip ahead to Revelation 5, 9. This song breaks out in this heavenly throne room. Revelation 5, 9 says this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Then read this. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. If Jesus is worthy, and this is a big if, but if Jesus is worthy, then in Jesus you have the good job, and you have the only good job you'll ever need. Isn't that what John says? John said, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. We we understand this concept of of, of being uh, held captive, don't we? Of of being held for ransom. We've all seen Liam Neeson's Taken before, right? We understand this ransom idea. Someone is held hostage or captive until the required payment can be made. John seems to assume here that you and I are in need of ransoming. Now, at this we might recoil a bit. John, listen. I'm not sitting on a pile of rocks in exile. In fact, I'm going to leave here. I'm going to drive my nice car to that nice brunch spot. I'll have a lovely afternoon. I'll then lay my head down on my nice pillow in my nice house. Things are good. John, over here, buddy. Don't need ransoming, right? I'm good. Things are good. It's good, right? As if we say it enough, it'll be true. John says, are you sure? Are you sure? Remember that this, remember to say that someone or something is worthy is to give them, is to give their vision, not just our stamp of approval, but indeed our whole lives. And that sounds like captivity to me. David Foster Wallace, who, if you're a hipster in here, you know who he is. Uh, David Foster Wallace wrote this book called Infinite Jest. And again, every hipster owns this book. That's actually how you know you are a hipster, is if you own this book. And in this famous commencement speech, uh, speech, he said this. He's not a Christian guy, but he said this. Really honest, really blunt. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. We all worship. I worship, you worship, 
People outside of here worship. People in the store worship. People at their jobs worship. We, we all worship. We all look to that which is worthy. We're all captive to, to something, someone. And depending on what that thing is, we, we progress or, or, or regress in this worship, depending on how, how we, good we do, right? And so our lives become this basically big game of snakes and ladders, right? Climb, 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 climb. We're doing it. Approval. We, we made it. Slide, 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 slide. Despair. Climb, climb. Is this just my experience? Approval. We made it. Oh, but they said that. Slide, slide, slide. Despair. Herein lies the fundamental difference between the approval of Jesus and the approval of literally everything else. If Jesus is worthy, again, that's a big if, but if Jesus is worthy, then you are approved because of what he has done and not because of what you've done. You can actually walk away from the, from the snakes and ladders. Solid, stable, secure. If Jesus is worthy, then you're approved. And it turns out it doesn't matter your ethnicity or what language you speak. The ransomed approved come, John sees, from every tribe and language and people and nation. If you're a Christian in here this morning, maybe sometimes you're not confident in your approval in Christ because you're not confident in the worthiness of Christ. The moments that I am hardest on myself, when I am unrelenting on myself, when I am unrelenting on my wife, when I am unrelenting on my children, are the moments that I have the smallest view of Jesus. To the person seeking here this morning, does the object of your worship Because again, David Foster Wallace said we're all worshiping something. Does it give you assurance in return? Does it give you assurance in return? How one guy, Tim Callery, talks about the fact that we all worship gods. We all have these gods, small g gods in our life. And the thing about the gods, if the gods aren't appeased, it's been true in all of history, the gods quickly turn violent. They quickly turn on you. It's never enough. Always more. Is the object of your worship solid, secure? Well, if Jesus is worthy, again, this is a big if, but if Jesus is worthy, then then you're approved. Next to approval, the thing I long for the most is a purpose. John weeps because if no one can open the scroll, if no one is worthy, then you have no purpose. But if Jesus is worthy, I want to suggest this morning, then you have a purpose. Revelation 5, 9 to 10, let's hear that song again. John hears, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then verse 10, look at this. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Good news. Do you like to do things? It's because you and I were created to do things. It's good news. I like to do things. In the very beginning of creation, before any ugliness, before evil, before brokenness and and fracturedness, if that's a word, before any of that enters the scene, we find what? 
we find Adam and Eve working. Genesis 1, 28-29. Pre-sin. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There's this mediating, uh, intercessory, uh, priestly role, really, that Adam and Eve are to fulfill. As God's image bearers, those like him on the earth, they are to seek the, 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 the flourishing of all creation. He subdue and dominion are, are harsh, unfriendly words to us. But to Adam and Eve, it, it refers to their merely uh, taking the weeds out of the garden so that the whole thing can grow, can be cultivated. It's tilling the soil for, for a maximum harvest. But Adam and Eve, if you know the story, they fail. And Israel, if you know the story, chosen to be a blessing to all the nations, to see this flourishing occur, they fail. If you know the story, and you know my story, you and I, guess what? Fail. John says that he sees a people. They are a ransom people from every tribe and language and nation who are made into a kingdom of priests who reign on the earth. If Jesus is worthy, then you and I have been given a priestly purpose. Now, what exactly does that mean? Sounds like church talk to me. Last week, Fred explained this to us, but priests in the Old Testament would go to God on behalf of the people. They would offer sacrifices of various animals to atone for the sins of the people. Priests had this mediating uh, intercessory role, much like the role of Adam and Eve. So you want to see this morning that to mediate, that to intercede, is part of what it means to reign even now with Jesus. See, we'll see that this reigning has, has a future connotation with it, but it also has very much a, a, a present idea in it. We, as a kingdom of priests, we join Jesus in his priestly work by bringing our neighbors by bringing our brothers and sisters, by bringing our co-workers uh, to, to the throne room of God, by interceding on their behalf, even as Christ intercedes for us. But here's the point. The role of an intercessor, this priestly role, cannot be filled from the comfort of your holy huddle. You can't do it. To reign with Christ means to, like Christ, leave the comfort of your home. To be found amongst those who will reject you, revile you, who will despise you, who will hate you. Here's the point. If you're never rubbing shoulders with people who don't know Jesus, how can you ever intercede for them? Did you notice what was happening in the throne room before song broke out? Revelation uh, 5 8, it says this. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense. And then what does it say? Which are the prayers of the saints. To reign with Jesus even now, even now, because we do, 
to reign with Jesus even now as a ransomed kingdom of priests is to be intercessors in word, in deed, in prayer. This is our priestly purpose. And it's very easy to forget this. It's very easy to think that we have been saved to be brought into membership in a country club. And, and, and together we, we have our nice meals together and we have our safety together and, and it's, it's, it's very kind and, and friendly and, and we serve one another. That is not... That is not the purpose of the church. See, the church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. We, we say this all the time. William Temple, he, he said something like this, if not exactly this, a long time ago. The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. So maybe you've been coming to gatherings for a while. You, you've, you've come on Sunday mornings for a while. You've grown up in and around Christianity. You, you can speak a, a Christianese very fluently, right? You, you're, you're comfortable here. You get your coffee. You sit down. You do your, your little, you know, like spiritual maneuvers, shake hands, go get brunch, right? You, you've got to figure it out. And the priestly picture you have is, is, is of standing over the world, looking at the world. Man, they suck. Man, they're wrong. Good thing I'm like, not like them, those, 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 those sinners. Was that the priestly ministry of Jesus? How, how, can we, how can we love our neighbors? How can we love the people we come to contact with if we always cast them as our enemies? Like, there are, don't mishear me here. There are some wicked, evil things that happen in our culture. I'm not, I'm not trying to brush over that. But if people, and it's always them, 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 if it's always them, then how can we love them? How can we serve them? I would suggest it's impossible. If Jesus is worthy, if he is worthy, again, here's our next domino. You've been given a purpose. Finally, the last implication that is irrevocably, absolutely, definitely true. If Jesus is worthy, is if Jesus is worthy, you've been given a future, you have hope. You have hope. Yes, we reign with Christ even now, but we will reign with him also in eternity. The reigning of Revelation 5.10 is not just this present experience, but for it to be completely full, it is also a, a future experience. Uh, what, one of my favorite series of all time uh, is Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And this has been debated, and so I don't want to debate this here. It's a very hot topic debate, but I would suggest one of the better books in that series, not the best, but one of the better books in that series is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Again, very controversial. And, and in that book, like a lot of Lewis's fiction, we find this, this picture of this end-time reality, this, this end-time world where, where, where Jesus reigns in fullness. See, we find the, these kids kind of sucked into a world where they go on this heroic high seas adventure. At the end of this adventure, they come to, to Aslan's country. And Lewis describes Aslan's country like this. Uh, the water is sweet, Right? The mountains, not sharp and intimidating, but, but lush and friendly. It's a utopian picture, if there ever was one. 
It's beautiful. If you ever read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, you find that there as well, too. He's amazing at doing this. But I would suggest uh, that Lewis's picture for the new heavens and the new earth doesn't hold a candle to the picture John receives in Revelation 21 and 22. In Revelation 22, John sees in the new heaven and new earth that no longer will there, be, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for, their Lord, for the Lord God will be their light. And look at how uh, John ends. And they will reign forever and ever. Our purpose most completely fulfilled. We reign, we rule with him. Our future most completely secure. We reign, we rule with him. Nothing cursed, all things made new. Did you catch that? Nothing marked and marred by evil, but we're seen, indeed all of creation is seen for, for how it was intended. Nothing dark, but all will live in the truth and the glory of his light. If Jesus is worthy, again, I know this is a big if, but if Jesus is worthy, then you've been given a future and a hope. Three dominoes we, we've kind of we've staggered, right? The first. If Jesus is worthy, then you have all the approval, all the good job you'll ever need. If Jesus is worthy, then you have a purpose. Right now, today even reigning with him right now. And if it is true that Jesus is worthy, then you have hope. You have hope. In the midst of all we experience, you have hope. So here's the question. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is Jesus worthy? Before we answer that, I want to circle back uh, to that story we find in the voyage of the Don Treader. Three children, Eustace, Lucy, Edmund. Uh, they've arrived in Aslan's country. The water's sweet, the mountains not foreboding and, and jagged, but, but warm and inviting. And if you've read this series before, you know that they expect to see Aslan. And, and Aslan is a what? A lion. He's a lion. But they don't see a lion. Lewis writes this. But between them and the foot of, their sky, of the sky, there was something so white on the green grass that even with their eagle's eyes, they could hardly look at it. They came on and saw that it was a lamb. Like the children, John also expects to see a lion, right? Isn't that how the elder had comforted him? And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. But while John hears a lion, he sees a lamb. Revelation 5, 6 to 8. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. In verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. 
At the very center of this throne room is a lamb. What does John see? As though it had been slain. Let's not dance around this any longer. This slain lamb is the crucified Jesus. And just as John saw that slain lamb between and among, in other words, at the very center of it all, so too is the crucified Jesus at the very heart, at the very center of our faith. So too is the crucified Jesus at the very center of our answer to the question this morning, is he worthy? Is he worth it? The lamb is worthy. The lamb is worth it. A thousand times he is. See, friends, you have forever approval because of what Jesus did on the cross. And as we say from time and time again, the cross tells you again and again that you're so bad that Jesus had to die for you. So if you're a perfectionist like me, guess what? You can breathe. He's done it. He's done it. But perhaps you know your sin this morning. You know your lostness this morning. Guess what? He's done it. He's done it. He accomplished it. It doesn't matter. Hear this this morning. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter what color of skin you have. He is worthy. And guess what? So then you're approved. This is good news. Is he worthy? He is, he is, he is. A thousand times the lamb is worthy. Last week, Fred said that Jesus is not only the final atoning sacrifice, but but Jesus is this final high priest. The lamb who was slain also calls us to continue his priestly intercessory work empowered by his Holy Spirit. And so see his worthiness. See the good news. See that you've been approved in Christ. And in seeing his worthiness and all that that means about your worthiness, labor in prayer and in word and in deed so that others might see it as well. Is he worthy? He is. He is. A thousand times the lamb is worthy. And because he is worthy, you have a future and an eternal hope. Just stop for a second. If you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. If you're not a close your eyes person, you don't have to close your eyes. But consider this. Who else is worthy? Maybe go through the Rolodex. History's great leaders. Great artists. Philosophers. Who else is worthy? Who else is worthy? Who else stands at the very center of it all as the lamb who was slain, who died for your sin? I'm convinced this morning that it is only Jesus. It is only, only Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.